and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host of the podcast, which features interviews with luminaries from the world of media and marketing. This week I've got a cracker of a guest. I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Suter, the chairman of Shortlist Media, which publishes Shortlist and Stylist magazines. Basically, he knows everything about magazines, this man, and he's also an interviewer on the BBC's Apprentice. Hi, Mike. For the listeners, can you just give a brief description of where we are today for this interview? Wow, okay, well, we are in the bowels of Shortlist Media Limited uh, in the office we've been in now for, oh, I'd say, about seven years um, at the bottom of Emerald Street, a lovely cobbled little street in uh, London's fashionable Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury? Bloomsbury. Something like that. London's fashionable Bloomsbury, anyway. Um, and this is uh, one of the three buildings uh, that Shortlist Media have. We've got one here, we've got one across the road, and we've got one about five minutes walk away. Um, and altogether, there are around about 175 staff, full-time staff, uh, at Shortlist Media these days, up from the five that we started with um, 10 years ago when we launched the business. Okay, so when you're celebrating, as you say, 10 years of Shortlist magazine, you've got, the, you've got the issue out in front of you here, so that's, I mean, that's a significant milestone. I certainly do, it's quite a thrill actually, because literally, this is like a, a piece of live broadcasting history, I've just actually yeah. seen the issue. I've seen it up on the wall in the editorial office, but this is the first chance for me to have a look at. Uh, the uh, shortlist, the first time it's ever been perfect bound, which is a real thrill. It's a properly big, fat, old issue of, well, 100 pages, um, which is a very satisfying um, milestone, I think, for, for uh, both the magazine itself. Um, I think when we launched, I think we had plenty of critics and sceptics, and sure. I don't think anybody um, would have imagined that we would get to our 10th issue, never mind our 10th year and I don't think there are any other general interest men's lifestyle magazines on a weekly frequency mm. in the world mm. um, that have reached that particular milestone so I'm tremendously proud of it and tremendously proud of the fact that it is still um, creatively vibrant commercially you know hugely successful mm -hmm. and a real sustainable force into the future so I guess most people know you for your uh, you know, career in magazines. You began in Smash Hits, you worked for a, a whole load of men's magazines. But it's also interesting because we've got The Apprentice is coming back in a few weeks' time. So <laughs> yes. I think you've been on that, I did my research, since 2011. Yeah, so this is unbelievably the seventh year yeah. uh, that, uh, that I've been on the, uh, the programme. And what's kind of funny about it was... The first time when I was asked, it, it kind of came out of the blue. We'd done uh, an episode uh, at Shortlist Media with, uh, with the, uh, the programme and with the uh, candidates who were on the, on the, the show and they were creating um, a, a magazine concept to take to media buyers. Sure. Um, and whoever got the most advertising pages won the task. Oh, whoever yeah. didn't lost the task and one of them would get fired, which of course inevitably happened. And it was the next day after we'd actually filmed that I got a call from the uh, the, the producer, the, the yeah. main producer on the on uh, the Apprentice, who asked me uh, what I was up to later on that day, and and would I be interested in having a meeting with Lord Sugar, oh, really? who I'd never met before. I was going to ask that. Uh, so uh, so I went along, met him, and uh, we kind of had a half hour chat where I just thought I'm not entirely certain what's going on. He was asking about 
the business and how we'd done. I thought, is he about to make an offer to acquire it or something? And uh, and he explained that this was the first year back in 2011 that the apprentice, the mm. prize for the winner, uh, moved from um, being a job with uh, Lord Sugar to being uh, uh, somebody who he was going to invest in, a 50-50 joint venture partner. So he was looking for um, entrepreneurs to um, to sit on in on the interview panel, and would I be interested? And of course, the answer to that was absolutely yes, please. Have you, as during your tenure doing that show, has anyone been so? Have you ever been so excited or so impressed by anybody that you thought about recruiting them to shortlist media? <laughs> Funnily enough, the, the, the very first year that we did it, there was a guy called Jim. Uh, I can't remember his surname, but he was nicknamed Jedi Jim, and he was a brilliant salesman. I really liked him, I really liked him, and, and kind of admired his steel. And I remember thinking at the time, um, he would just be the most incredible salesperson um, at the company. So I definitely would have employed him. Um, uh, what you tend to find by the time you get to that stage in the process is, you are into interviewing the five best people. Yeah. They've just been through um, an 11 stage process which hardens them up like crazy. Yeah. They can just see the finishing line past yeah. you. Yeah. So all they know is they've got to get past these interviews, they've got to get past you, yeah. and then they're going to whack through the other side and they're going to get £250,000. So you've got these, they're, they're the best of the lot. They're pretty smart mm. to very smart. Um, and they're hugely determined. So they tend to be really impressive mm. by that point anyway. Okay. Now, just changing tact, there's quite a lot of um, magazine stories in the national newspapers at the moment. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. One of them is uh, Time Inc., the US magazine giant, which publishes titles like Sports Illustrated. Um, they're putting their um, UK arm up for sale, which I guess most people know as IPC, yeah. which is called Time Inc. UK now. So that publishes titles like Marie Claire, TV Times, Enemy. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's interesting. Is that unexpected? That's been sort of muted for some time, hasn't it? I mean, who would be, who would be possible buyers? Or is that a good thing or a, a bad thing for the magazine industry? Because I think they put out a statement saying the reason why they were selling them was basically downturn in sales, downturn in the ad market. Yeah, so um, I think the, the Time Inc. UK sales story is part of a much larger okay. story which is a real downturn that's hit the core US business. Yeah. And so uh, they went through a potential sale process with, I think, Meredith in the States, which was aborted. So that was, you know, around about February uh, of this year. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was in the States. I was in New York. Oh, really? And uh, lots of the people I know work at Time Inc. Yeah. So I'm meeting people for slightly worried looking people for cups of coffee because they were just, they just weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, uh, but that, that sale process was aborted and so they went into a strategic review and as a result of the strategic review what they're now doing is selling what they describe as non-core assets which I think is a bit of a rude way yeah, sure. to describe um, something yeah. like Time Inc UK as you say the old IPC which actually um, as far as the UK is concerned it's difficult to think of a more core um, sure. uh, a magazine publisher within there I think it's a good thing um, I think, it, I think it, of course, it all depends on the deal that they manage to find. Yeah. It's clear that, that the company will be sold. Yeah. Um, whether they, it will all be sold in one main block mm. or in parts, 
I'm not sure they're saying and I'm not sure anybody particularly knows at the moment. Clearly there's a sense that there has been a dialogue going on in the background with uh, an acquirer or more than one acquirer over the last few months. But over and above that, you know, the insiders are, the people who really know, of course, are, are keeping their lips tightly shut at the moment. And I think we'll see. I think the deal will be done. I think the deal will be done this calendar year because I think that's why we know about it. I think if, if there wasn't a deal which was imminent in terms of in the next quarter, then I don't think we would know about it still. I think we're hearing about it because there are too many conversations going on and uh, and therefore it's, mm. it's kind of come out as a result of that. So without saying who it was, it's likely to be a UK publisher who buys the magazine, does it? I, 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 I mean, I have no privilege or inside no. knowledge of yeah. the whole thing. I think, you know, as any observer would, would imagine, mm. there would be one or two perhaps UK slash European publishers who might mm. be in the marketplace for it, mm. but not my place to say who they would be. And I guess there would also be one or two major private equity mm. um, companies who, looking at the success of the, the immediate deal, mm. you know, immediate media yeah. went through a private equity stage that was very good for immediate media as a business. It really sharpened it up. It really mm -hmm. speeded it up. And then they sold that on to Burda, um, you know, sure. earlier on this year, or was that last year now? Who knows? Time flies. Um, but they but they sold that on again. That was a that was a very successful deal, which means I would imagine that smart mm. private equity companies would also be circling the assets that that um, uh, comprise um, IPC slash Time Inc UK, thinking that there's a good deal to be done there. I think by your answer we can rule out that Shortlist has um, going to be acquiring any of these titles. And I also thought NME might be quite a good fit with being a free title, but I mean, would that be a, a title that would be interesting for, for Shortlist Media? Or well, you're owned by different, you're owned by DC Thompson, aren't you? So. I've, I have, um, I've always um, felt that NME as a free title is a rather awkward brand. I'm not sure it works particularly well as a product. I'm not sure it works particularly well as a business. Um, I think it's been a really brave attempt to take something which was doomed um, uh, otherwise to try and give it another life. But I think the jury's still out on whether that's been a success. Okay. And um, Richard Desmond, he's obviously selling his newspapers to, um, or is in, is in talk to sell his newspapers to Trinity Mirror. Not much has been made of, because obviously he's got magazines too, OK Magazine, Star Magazine. Yeah. Are they, Trinity Mirror, you, you don't really associate with magazines, is it, will they be a good proprietor for OK? I mean, I guess OK is, compared to the 90s heyday when it was selling a truckload of copies, will they be a, a good home for those magazines? And secondly, are you an admirer of Richard Desmond? I mean, he launched OK, I mean, he did very well out of OK, didn't he, out of those sort of, those big deals, uh, Beckham Wedding, I think, and things like that, and... It's, yeah, look, OK as a brand has definitely seen better days, but then the entire celebrity magazine marketplace is is currently um, uh, languishing, shall we say. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that it won't come back, it's just to say that it's certainly not flavour of the month at the moment. 
of the struggling celebrity titles, OK is still a very distinctive one. It's still profitable. Um, it's still a success. It's just not the big noise that it probably was 10 or 15 years ago. But then that's what happens with magazines anyway. That's mm. always happened with consumer magazines. Mm. They rise and they fall. Mm. Sure. And sometimes they rise again. They often have, have a kind of a second birth. Will Trinity Mirror be a good home for OK? I mean, they don't have any other... Um, consumer magazine assets within there but that's not to say that they'll be a bad publisher of it of course they've also got the opportunity if they do mm, uh, acquire the express titles and okay they've also got the opportunity to to sell that off i think there would be a number of publishers who would be interested in a side conversation about that mm-hmm. richard desmond since you asked me about him mm-hmm. um, well, I, I really i really admire um, what he's done as a business, I think he's very smart in yeah. terms of the in terms of the, the the business deals that he's done. I think the Express deal was was genius when it happened. I think the Channel Five deal was was like treble that genius. Mm. What he's managed to do as a as a person is he's managed to enrich himself unbelievably mm. from the back of that. And mm. as an entrepreneur, I take my hat off to him. We'll jump, we'll jump on from there. At the start of the year, Sport Magazine closed. This seems quite a while ago. Uh, and I presume, because I think Sport launched at a similar time as Shortlist did. That's right. I presume the reason for that, because it was sold, wasn't it? It was owned by the Wireless Group. It was sold to News UK, publisher of the Cinema Times. Is it, was that a surprise that they closed that straight away? Was that a, a business that was not doing well? Could, th- could they not have you know, worked on that? Or? I, I mean, Sport's interesting, because Sport originally was published um, uh, as a wholly owned subsidiary of a French company. So sport in France, um, you know, 10 years ago, was a a real success. Launched across in the UK around about the same time that we launched Shortlist. Yeah. Um, And it did very well. And and, and to begin with, it it was a good thing for both titles, actually. Shortlist and sport both being published alongside each other, both weeklies, both high quality, both free, both independent. It kind of it was a great story for the whole for the whole sure. market. Yeah. And that attracted attention and attention attracts business. So that was a so it was it was good I think for both of us at that time. Um, sport kind of went off the boil, it had um, ownership difficulties. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the parent company in, in France yep. got into real difficulties, burned through a huge amount of cash, never quite delivered on, on the promises they made their investors there. And Sport closed, actually, about five years ago. Yeah. It, it ceased publication. Yeah. And we thought, we looked at it at the time, because we knew we could have picked it up for not very much money. But uh, it, that was at the same time, in fact, that was seven years ago, because that was at the same time that we would, wanted to launch Stylist. Okay. And it was really a choice for us as a company. We had one very successful brand in Shortlist, we were, you know, by that point profitable. We basically had enough money in the bank to either go ahead and launch Stylist or acquire Sport. I didn't know that, right. So we made the choice to um, launch Stylist on the basis that we didn't think, that we thought the Sport was just going to go away. So we didn't figure it was going to be a, oh, really? a competitor anymore. We miscalculated because the wireless group picked it up and published it quite successfully. It was a very low-cost publishing operation, but they made money out of it. They were very happy with it. And then, of course, that that business or that part of that business was then acquired by um, News Group, 
and I think News Group took a look at it and realised that they were going to have to invest quite a lot of money in sport mm -hmm. and did they really believe in the future of it and from their actions one must assume that the uh, conclusion they came to was no this wasn't worth continuing with okay. and certainly we weren't interested in it. Okay. One of the story I was keen to get your views on uh, is the story which came out of Australia a few weeks ago it's the Australian actress Rebel Wilson who sued Bauer for I think it was nearly 4.5 million for defamation mm. which is quite in I mean it's quite interesting because you always think well I certainly think of big defamation cases like that you think about uh, in newspapers but obviously they're you know could be equally apparent in magazines too just as, as your role as chairman of shortlist I mean I've read reports before where say you attend all the editorial meetings for stylist and shortlist how aware are you of all the you know, the content that goes out in the magazine. Is anything, I guess, anything that's remotely controversial is flagged up to you, is it? And obviously you come from an ed editorial background, don't you, so you must be... When I was the, when I was the chief executive of Shortless Media, I would chair weekly meetings, and at those weekly meetings there would be, the editor would talk about what he or she was going to put in their magazine that week. Sure. And often they were kind enough to run the cover past me before it would go off to press. Um, I always maintained and always do maintain that in any good magazine or any good editorial culture, the editor's decision is final and no correspondence must be entered into. And that's really? something that I always believed from the point where I was the editor. Um, as the chief executive, if I didn't like what the editor was doing, then my decision was who the editor was. So there's a nicely balanced piece of power and responsibility in there. You have to employ great editors, and we have mm -hmm. done that consistently, you know, over the years. Terry White, uh, Lisa yeah. Smazarski, um, Joe Makatich, um, uh, you know, we've got, we've, we have on our, that's just on our, on our print titles, we've had some amazing editors um, work with us. And so, and obviously we have an amazing editorial director in Phil Hilton, so it's a really strong editorial culture here. Mm. And I think good, strong editorial cultures are ones that welcome input and feedback. So, so as chief executive, I always took a really active interest in exact in editorial matters in exactly sure. the same way that I took a really active interest in the advertising business that we were doing, or the stock of paper that we were buying, or the printers that we were working with, or the distribution um, experience that we were having. Um, I, 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 as chairman, I, I'm absolutely no longer aware of what's going to go in the magazine, and which is quite right as well. Mine, mine is a non-executive role, um, and so therefore it's uh, it's a lovely surprise, like it was this week, to see yeah. to see Shortlist's tenth anniversary. I knew what was going in it, you know, broadly speaking, because everybody's been so excited about it over the over the last um, couple of months. But it's just a pure joy to see it. Yeah. Just carrying on from the content theme, I was looking at the last ABC figures, which were the f for the first half of 2017. I think there's a long-standing theme about Private Eye, The Week, Economists, sort of serious news uh, magazines doing quite well. Yes. Is, is that? Do you think that for magazines like you, are you feeling that you've got to cover weightier subjects more now, things like Brexit and the economy, or do you shy away completely from those? Or do you think there is a movement? People wanting that sort of coverage from magazines and not, I guess, traditionally from, you know, hard news programmes and um, serious newspapers. I mean, I think things like The Week and The Economist um, are, and Private Eye, you know, separately, 
are incredibly valuable parts of people's lives. I mean, they've managed to, to create for themselves, they've carved a, a, a place into various readers' lives where those readers' lives wouldn't quite be the same without them on a weekly basis. Um, that's partly to do with the news content that they tend to summarise. You know, there's the, they have sure. that in common. You get really smart either summarised news or, or original opinion or scurrilous gossip, depending on which one of those three that you consume. And, um, and that's, uh, that's a really uh, valuable part of, of any reader's life. What, what that means for titles like Shortlist and Stylist, they've always been non-party political, mm -hmm. but quite political. I mean, they have a point of view. It's impossible to read Shortlist and not realise that it thinks that Brexit is the worst thing that could possibly happen to the okay. UK. It is impossible to read Stylist and not realise that it is um, more left of centre than it is centrist. That's it's not because it talks about party politics, but because they talk about personal politics. They have a yeah. very acute view of the urban audience that they deal with and what their concerns are and what the political world around them, the effects that those have upon them. So I think they, I think they're, it's not that they are political, but mm. they are politicised in that sense. So you haven't had Jeremy Corbyn or any of the leaders on the front of Stylist or, or Shortlist magazine? Uh, well, funnily enough, one of the ten covers this week of Shortlist is the sainted Jeremy Corbyn himself, um, uh, alongside an absolute catalogue of other absolutely quite amazing stars. I mean, it's, um, it's extraordinary mix, access from Anthony Joshua and KSI and Niall Horan, Jamie Vardy, Chris Froome, Craig David, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a brilliant mix of men and amazingly, they are all, all standing there holding a picture of what they looked like 10 years ago. And um, I, Jeremy's scrubbed up quite well, I think, yes, yeah, yeah. in the last 10 years. So just, you're chairman now, so are you, how many days a week are you actually doing here then? Are you... And, you know, as little as possible because it's an incredibly good executive team. I mean, yeah. you know, Ella so Dolphin... You're not getting five days a week then, no? Oh, no, I'm not five days a week at all, no. Um, uh, Ella Dolphin is the CEO, um, uh, and I think she's a fantastic leader for this business. Um, the the transition between her and I has been, I think, as smooth as it possibly could be. Right. You can speak to anybody around here. And that was something that I think people feared. I was obviously being, being the founder and sure. CEO of the business meant that I think we were all a little bit concerned that maybe some things might fall through the gaps um, when, I, um, when I moved on from being kind of full-time here. As it happens, I just don't think they have at all. I think you've got, you know, when you walked in here today, John, you kind of went, oh, it's buzzing as ever yeah, in here. And it really is. The, the, the atmosphere, the spirit, the drive, the everything else is just as, uh, just as uh, high octane as it ever was. Okay, and just going back to, I don't know if you made the statement, I think uh, either you or maybe it was Ella, said that digital revenues are going to account for half of income by 2018. I presume that's across all brands. 
Is that did you put that out? Is, is that an important marker? You're not sort of making a rod for your own back by saying that, or will you, I guess you will achieve it if you've made a point of saying that. And you... I, I think that I think that digital revenues will make half of the revenues within this business in within the next two years. I think that what's more important is that um, revenues which are around um, content solutions, creative solutions. Um, pieces of bespoke content mm-hmm. that we are creating will make up well in excess of 50% of the revenues of this business um, in the next two years. You've got, have, you, have you got a content studio here now? Have you or not? Or yeah, we've got, well, there's, a, there's a, a brilliant content studio just across the road from where we're sitting at the moment, and that's uh, Family. And what Family has is it has strategists at the core of it who mm-hmm. work with advertisers and who work with um, you know planners and marketers and clients, um, and around them a team of really talented creators sure. yeah. and um, and also um, production and delivery executives. And what they do is not every, they don't create every single piece of content within there. But what they do is they coordinate the content that is made. So what happens is the editorial teams in this business, and we employ in excess of 80 editorial people in the company across our different brands, they are also involved and engaged in creating content. So what you get when you work with family as an advertiser is it's, yeah. li- it's kind of literally in the name you 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 become part of the shortlist media family okay. and the people who are creating the content for you are exactly the same people who are creating content um, in the the editorial parts of the the magazines and on our digital products okay and just I forgot about this but you famously coined the term freemium which um, are you? Which obviously means upmarket and free. Yes, absolutely. Are, are you free, that, but not cheap. Are you surprised that not more magazines? Have, I mean, you mentioned Enemy before, which you said you 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 weren't a fan of as a free proposition. Obviously, you got Time Out. You got a few others. Are you surprised that more magazines haven't gone free? I guess it's harder if you're a paid for title to go free than you know starting off launching free. Are you? I think I think what you've got in the market is you've got two. Two magazines that, that are now free that used to be paid for, one of them is doing incredibly well, which is Time Out, yes. and sits as part of a much larger business with enormous aspirations um, uh, across lots of different platforms and experiential. And that has been a really, really successful, blindingly successful, I think, um, uh, move from paid for where it was just dying mm-hmm. to free where where it just has become completely liberated as a brand, um, and uh, and you've got the NME which I think I think the jury is still very much out on at the moment hasn't really seemed to have picked up in in exactly the same way. So it's what Time Out proves is it's not impossible to go from paid for to free but you utterly need to change the underlying business model as they have Um, what I'm surprised about is that there haven't been more pure freemium launches over the last 10 years Um, I know that there have been propositions that have gone to company boards in all of the major publishers across the UK so 
it's not that people haven't looked at it, it's not that they haven't aspired to doing it, it's just that when it's come down to it, they, for whatever reason, have pulled right back from the back from the brink. Okay, right. Just before we wrap up, it wouldn't be wouldn't seem right to conduct an interview with you, Matt, without talking about the heady days of um, men's magazines. Obviously, I think you're associated or you had some kind of editorial job with most of them. FHM, Maxim, Loaded. Yeah. At the time, did you always think that those magazines had a limited shelf life? Did you always think that one day these would close, and you were thinking of? Well, I guess shortlisted away might be an, an evolution of those magazines. But or did you th- did you think that those magazines were, you know wouldn't carry on up up infinitum? Or? No, I mean I you know I remember um, I st- my first real break with men's magazines was editing FHM, and at the time FHM was the lowest selling of the five men's general interest monthly magazines that were on sale in Britain. Oh, really? And I was working at EMAP and we acquired it and it was selling 35,000 copies a month. And three years later, when I moved on from it, um, having edited it for that time, it was selling half a million copies a month. It was the biggest selling monthly magazine of any kind in Britain. It was a kind of an extraordinary phenomenon. And in yeah, second sure. place, yeah. you had Loaded at the time, which was yeah. selling kind of 400,000 copies. So... So at, at that particular point, it felt like these magazines would... There was no reason to believe that these magazines wouldn't um, still be existing in another 50 to 100 years' time. I mean, what, why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, the, I think the decline in men's magazines... And as you say, I edited Maxim in New York, um, yeah. which, which became the biggest-selling men's lifestyle magazine in the world at the time and I was essentially the publisher I was the managing director of the publishing group that published Loaded yeah Um, so I kind of had a real insight into 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 all three and with Loaded by that point we were trying to manage decline we were trying to shore up decline but still this you know Loaded at that point was a magazine that was still selling well over 300,000 copies every single month you know very 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 profitable very powerful um, brands that that for whatever reasons just never made never made the transition to a new audience and never made the transition truly into digital no well they they, they may may come back maybe 20 years time or something like that they sort of talk about these magazines coming back and then like Face Magazine and Smash It I think is that I don't know people talk about those magazines coming back Uh, you've started your career Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Every, for, for everything to go full circle and for Smash Hits to, to uh, be there. Maybe, maybe, I could, maybe that could be my retirement job when that eventually comes, to go and edit Smash Hits. Although maybe that would also be a bit creepy for a 65-year-old man <laughs> okay. to be editing a pop magazine for teenagers. Who knows? Who okay. knows? Final question, then. Um, what trends, any trends to look out for in magazines over the next five years? What should listeners look out for? And what about yourself? I mean, you're chairman here now, so presumably you have other interests. Do you, are you mm-hmm. other media interests, or is this more of a different uh, pace of life? Uh, no, <laughs> no it's, uh, life, is, life is as fast-paced as it ever was, thankfully, because I get bored quite easily. Um, I'm helping a couple of little um, businesses start up and, and see if they can fly. I'm investing in a couple of things. I sit on the, the board of IPSO, which is the Independent yeah. Press Standards Organisation, um, and, um, uh, you know, that's 
tremendously satisfying. I'm now thinking I probably shouldn't have said that about Richard Desmond because I'm on the board of Ipso. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, there we go, though, hey? Eh? Um, <laughs> I can edit that bit out. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can, well, yeah. there's other newspapers now, anyway, isn't there? Well, not yet, though. No. Okay. Not yet. Okay. Maybe that is a bad thing for me to say, yeah. actually. Well, what about friends in magazines, then? So, anyway, so, uh, sorry, so, to, back to me. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I will, uh, I, I hope to carry on being the chairman here for sure. as long as they'll have me and as long as I feel that I'm doing a good job and contributing well. Um, we get on. I get on tremendously well both with Ella, the CEO, and, and her yeah. senior team, and also um, uh, the board of DC Thompson. So I hope that carries on. Um, and yeah, I'll probably start up one or two new things. I should. I suspect I'll never be terribly far away from media because um, I've spent such a long time in it. But nice to do other things as well. Nice and and magazine trends to look out for? Is there anything we should be looking out for in the next few years, or is it more of the same? Or? I think what will happen within magazines is um, a continuation of the trend that, that, that really has been going on now for the last 10 years, really, which is um, some magazines will, will be high circulation, high frequency, and free mm. at the point of consumption. Sure. Um, whether that's literally free in the same in the way that we are, or whether that's basically free um, in the way that Cosmopolitan now is, you know, this this the key to volume of uh, volume magazines will be free. Yeah. And and then at the other side, I think you will have magazines which will have um, no advertising in them whatsoever. Will be massively thick and glossy and. You know, will have diamonds studded into their lo- actual diamonds studded into their logos, and they'll be incredible, luxurious treats. And I think the things in the middle yeah. will disappear over time. Ah, right. Okay, there you are. The Doommonger. That could be quite a few uh, well-known titles then, maybe. Uh, unless they manage to find a way to go to one of those extremes, I I think that what what will happen is because it's happening all the way across media. Yeah. You look at. You look at tele, you look at ITV, yeah, yeah, which which essentially has to be free and is funded by advertising, and they have to spend huge amounts of money on programming and marketing just to keep it there. You look at Netflix, which has no advertising on it whatsoever, but and it costs you to consume. Yeah. Those are really the two models for media yeah. moving forward. Those are the two models everywhere, whether it's print media yeah. or whether it's digital media or whether it's broadcast media, yeah. that's what's happening. If you pay for it, mm-hmm. you don't expect to get ads in it anymore. Yeah, okay. Okay, on that point, that is fantastic. That was very comprehensive. Thanks very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you. We'll have to do it again. Thank you very much. Okay, until uh, next week. Thank you. What's that? That was great. Cool, it's all right.